can't guarantee he'll be in a room for the whole year, but uh, yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Well, I mean, after we have to, we have to decide, like, we have to redo this every... Oh, okay. But I still, uh, I thought you meant you weren't sure you were going to be in a room, like you were going to lose your space or something. Oh, you mean this space? Well, I'm losing this space. Uh, I'm out of this space soon. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Go on, go on with your intro. Well, that's it. I'm Rob, and I'm here with Brandon and Jennifer C. Martin. And uh, I don't know uh, how uh, how would you guys? How do you think? How do you guys? Fuck. How? Can, how do you guys think would prefer to die and when? Well, when you told me to think about death, I had terrible nightmares. And um, and I never have, like, I barely even dream, much less have nightmares. Oh, man, I'm jealous. Yeah, and I had nightmares that my sister with my youngest son were diagnosed with cancer. Really excited to relive that repeatedly. <laughs> I woke up crying and shit. Thanks, Rob. This is... That's honestly because of me? You had... Nah, no, I don't know why. I mean, I... Um, if if I wanted to die, it's very cliche, but I'd like to die when I was, like, old and just fall asleep. And, like, I don't care about it, you know? I guess I'm just such a... I guess I can say that I, I'm a pussy. But so, like, I'm a pussy when it comes to death. It's the number one thing stopping me, you know, because, like, I've dealt with a lot of suicidal ideation and, like, depression and stuff. But just being a total bitch about death is probably the number one reason, like, I haven't gone through with anything. Same. You don't believe in, like, a... I, you know, you're heavily Christian. You don't believe in... Are you not... Is, <laughs> is Does the afterlife scare you? <laughs> I mean, like, I was raised Pentecostal, so there's always that, like, 0.001%, like, fear in your mind. Like, what if he uh, hell is, like, <laughs> real? Then I'm definitely going to it. Like, like, um, like, like, you never, like, lose this inherent, like, childhood fear. It's almost like, I don't know, like, I don't like to say that I've had a traumatic childhood because my childhood wasn't that traumatic compared to others. Like, nothing super bad that you can think of has ever happened to me. But, like, belief in hell in and of itself is sort of like a traumatic experience for a child. Right. It's like, oh, you, like, believe this way or you will literally burn alive for longer than your life for all time. And you don't even have, like, a... That's a crazy fucking thing to say to a kid. Yeah, I mean, before you even have... Yeah, that's fucked up. A concept of time, like... Yeah, so, you know, it's a little bit scary. You worry about it. I don't know. I'm I'm iffy on the afterlife. I, I think, you know, I tend more towards, like, the Jewish tradition of, like, here and now. Like, the point of Christianity. If there's an afterlife, we'll see. Hopefully, I'll at least get purgatory, right? That's not even in Protestantism, so... I don't even understand purgatory. Like, is that supposed to... Are you supposed to... Is there, like an emotional state in purgatory or is it just supposed to be boring because it's the same 
Well, for a while, purgatory and limbo were different in the Catholic Church, where, like, limbo is like you're going to be here forever because you weren't baptized or whatever. So, like, you know, African babies go to limbo if they get, if they are not getting baptized, like if they die young before whatever, and then eventually the Catholic Church is like, no, there's no limbo, there's only purgatory, which I guess is like if you need to redeem yourself from some sin because you didn't get to talk to a priest before you die and absolve yourself of sins. So you have to, like, I don't know how it came through in the Bible. Like, I'm not really sure about how a lot of Catholic traditions came about because I'm not Catholic. But, but yeah, it's sort of just like, oh, well, this person was really bad, but they were also, you know, a good Catholic and a good or good Christian person, so they can come to heaven after a little while. I don't even know your religious background, uh, Brandon, and I've known you... I don't even know your religious background, and I think I've known you longer. I don't know if we ever talked about it, honestly. Really? Um, I mean, my I was raised a uh, Christian, just non-denominationally, you know, uh, assimilationist Christian. Um, but yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I was. I was taught about hell very early on, and it freaked me the fuck out. Uh, freaked me the fuck out for years. Uh, for years because, like, at a certain point, it'd be, like, a lot of the Bible stories, kind of, especially the ones they tell kids start to, mm-hmm. you know, they start to not believe it so much. You know, the idea of getting swallowed up by a whale for a while and then being regurgitated back up. You know, I mean, like, I, I sound real real Californian here. <laughs> I understand now that they're they're really just, you know, they're really just like parables, but I wasn't taught that. No, I wasn't either. Yeah, like this this really happened. Like you you got to believe. Like if you don't believe this shit, like you're you're done forever. Like you're oops, you're done. Like you're you're smoking forever. Yeah, I had a real my grandfather was literally like a professor at a Christian college of like science and the Bible and he believed not even all. I would say most Christian professors don't even believe all this now, but he did. He believed that all of Genesis and all the Old Testament was all literal. And he would have, like, these roundabout crazy ways of being like, and this is how we know the flood happened. And then, like, all this other shit. It's really wild that the circles that people can spin themselves into, into believing it. I think it's much nicer to hear it and be like, this is, you know, a parable and a story to learn from. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge cognitive disconnect if you're really trying to take it literally. Like, my mom would tell me things of, like, you know, she would tell me that, like, the creation of Eve and stuff. And so, like, that's, like, why to this day women have, like, one less rib than men. And, like, I mean, I I took... Is that true? I took her word for it. No, no, no. Do women have one less rib? No. It's not even... It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> that never, like, no, women don't have an odd number of ribs. I just never thought about it. Like, it never occurred to me to check a partner's rib or anything. Well, I, 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 it never occurred to me either. And then I did check it, and it was a complete lie. But the thing is, when my mom, my mom said that, like, I think she was trying to get into nursing school. Aw. So she was, like, working, like, I think she may have been in nursing school already, but she 
I know she was looking at like cadavers and anatomical texts and stuff, and she was still telling me this shit. I don't, I still don't understand it now. I just don't understand like how people can be like a literalist when the first two pages of the Bible contradict each other about the creation, about like, yeah, <laughs> about like <laughs> when man and woman were created and how and just i don't know it's weird and it's because christians don't like learn anything from like like technically what is it christianity is supposed to be derived from judaism but yet they don't know like like how like jews read the bible or scriptures like they're they're like so they're just like oh well I guess this is all real. Like, let's just take this all at face value without having even studied it. Like, I don't think Jewish people believe it's all literal. So, like... Well, I've never heard of a flat earther Jewish person, so... Yeah, no, it's not like that. It's just like like they understand it's parables for lessons or whatever, and they still, you know, they still have conservative Jews, but conservative Jews still tend to just follow, like, the rules more than believe the stories as literal. I think they, I think they like respecting the scholarly approach to the religious texts too. Like I, I think that a lot of the Christian population who are like biblical literalists, I, I don't think they they really enjoy seeing the Bible in like a, a historical context at all. I think they just want it to be divorced from you know time and space and just being like the Word of God. Yeah, not to mention like yeah. Literal hundreds of translations over thousands of years. Which they get sort of upset if you bring that up. Like, you know, this isn't, God wasn't, if God was talking to, you know, it was being transcribed, like it wasn't in English. And they sometimes get offended by that. But Yeah, wasn't there a Bill Hicks joke too about like, what's it say on the front of the Bible? King James Bible. That's his Bible. Yeah. I do like that Bible, though. Of all the translations, I like that one. It's very uh, poetic. I've never actually been able to get through it because I'm too dumb. Like, I can't read Shakespeare. I had to read the Balderized versions in high school, and I don't know. My brain just doesn't function that way. I mean, I don't I don't blame you. I studied Shakespeare in college, you know, and, like, uh, it's part of my major. And honestly, I, I don't... I don't I don't get this whole thing of like Shakespeare reading Shakespeare having to be agony. Like, like it, like it's people see it, think of it as, as this kind of like highfalutin type of thing. That's a type of benchmark. And if you can't understand what the fuck he's saying, then you're dumb. But again, it's like, they were talking like the, what is it? The, the 17th century. I should add all of our new stutters to each script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I don't fucking remember anymore, but like. I think it was six. Yeah, 16th. And they say like, I don't know. It's easier if you say it out loud since it was supposed to be performed. Right. I found it easier when I had to study it. But whatever, people, that's just like language changes. If those people came into our fucking universe and like looked online and saw all the shit that we say, they would have no idea what we were saying either. Yeah, I mean. Every day going on Twitter, it takes like 15 minutes to figure out what people are say, like what the words they're saying mean anymore. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> there's just new references every fucking day. 
New references. <laughs> you you look. New levels of irony. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like that website exists, like Rap Genius. Oh yeah. That has like translations to stuff that's coming out like today. Yeah. Like you know, and uh, Shakespeare, his like, so much of his work has like double meanings and double entendres and. I doubt that a lot of, like, you know, the peasant classes that were standing in the Globe Theater with, like, kings or whatever, like, they might not have, they might have got, they might not have got every reference. The the king, like, the nobles may not have got all the references either. They're there for the slapstick. Yeah, that's true, actually. That was the entire point, wasn't it? It was something, he was communicating to two different audiences on two different levels, and that was, like, part of the genius of him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, thinking about rap genius too, like thinking about just how Christianity still uses Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah as a, like a religious song constantly. A song about being sad and fucking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, John Cale, uh, the story, I don't know if you guys have heard the story behind the the current iteration of Hallelujah, but apparently Leonard Cohen wrote like 150 verses to it and would just oh my god jesus yeah and he would just perform random verses live and one time john kale heard performance and he was like hey i want to do a cover of that can you send me the lyrics and then he sent him like 15 pages of lyrics and he said he just took out some of the naughty bits and um then made them the song (laughs) that is a gratuitous amount of lyrics yeah, I mean, I respect it. I can't write any, so. I want to I want to see a version of him doing it in just one take though. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> I uh I wonder if John Cale still has all the original lyrics that he faxed him because he's dead. I mean, Letter Cohen's dead now. So I don't know of any record of the orig- of the other verses unless there's like recordings of live performances from then. Um but yeah. So what was the question? How do I want to die? I don't remember. Uh... Yes. Oh, yeah. How do you want to die? <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know anymore. Um, I, uh, there used to be, like, for a long time, the, like, my, my thing was, like, like, there's no way I'm going to, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to, like, sit in the hospital bed or, like, get old, older or whatever. Just the idea that seems like um, it was it was horrifying to me, you know, to like to like well to just like uh, to like just slowly lose a certain amount of control or agency, and that's what I thought it was, you know. Yeah. So like I always like I always just am like, <laughs> oh, when the opportune time comes, I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna just kill myself, like you know. Um, and, you know, I had, like, suicidal ideation. Yeah. And there was, like, depressive episodes like that, too. Even divorced from that, there was, like, there was this conscious, like, thought of, like, that if I'm going to go, then I'd like to do it, you know. But now I don't know. I don't have a preference. I'm, I'm like, I, I think, if anything, I would just be... I think the romanticism from, like, being, like, a sad, sad, sad kid for so long, um, like, the last remnant of it is, like, me wanting to be, like, if I'm going to die, I'd like to be, like, uh, aware of it, I think. Oh, I don't. In what way? 
I don't. Yeah. I I want to know the like. Do you want to have like a gun pointed at your face? <laughs> like is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, no, because that's that's that means somebody else gets to do it. I, I don't really want that either. But I do like. What about an animal? But like, I want to know like what it is, what it feels like to be like. Oh, th- okay, this is my last mo- final moment. This is it. Hmm. Oh my god, I don't. I, I, I do. I do want to know. I don't. I don't want to know anything. You don't get too many of those. You don't get many opportunities to feel that. So. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'm really curious about, actually, is like to lose like having dementia to like i want to know what that feels like but then also be able to live my life and reference it like uh yeah well, my grandfather has alzheimer's like yeah like for a long long time and like mine too and then like he finally died and i and like i don't know his last like i remember like we didn't get this go and say bye to him and like he hadn't really known who I was for like a year and everyone was just hoping like you know there's a certain point when someone has Alzheimer's or dementia that you're like god I wish they would die not because of how not because you don't want them to die but because it just seems like such a miserable life you know yeah even just living at a home so I just waved at him and he waved at me and then I don't know yeah yeah, just seeing my grandmother in a home recently. I mean, like when she was in the hospital like a year or two ago, maybe two or three years ago now, um, when I visited her at one point, she was just, I was just trying to talk to her. And I guess the way I lead conversations and she just ended up saying like, yeah, I'm like done. I don't, I wish they would stop reviving me. Like, Jesus, I'm just bored, like basically. But um. Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing of having dementia is so interesting to me because of how long they can just be, like, clueless or they can be really cheery like my grandfather was. Like, he would always just repeat, uh, where's my martini? How's my – how about a Manhattan? Um, and uh, I just other weird catchphrases or, like, other people that, like, get really angry and, like, scared to some extent. I don't know. There's something weird and morbid because, like, I was living with my grandfather when he was, like, in mild to more, hmm, more like moderate Alzheimer's. Um, Like, I just lived with him for a month or two. We had sold our house in Tennessee, and we were about to move to Virginia. And so this would have been 2015, and he was starting to lose some of his, like, more, day, more like, day-to-day stuff. But he had the sudden resurgence of, like, childhood memories and, like, adolescent memories. And he started talking about, like, this old girlfriend he'd had. He started singing songs that we'd never heard him sing before. It was really, really interesting. That's one thing I really wish we could get to is, like, I remember hearing or reading something when I was little about how in the future we're going to have pills where you can just experience somebody else's consciousness. Jesus. That sounds awful. I don't want that. (laughs) I'm really curious. Like, that's just all I wonder all the time is just like, what's it like? Because I just wonder, like, how much of our thoughts of our memories define our consciousness? Like, how much of consciousness is just memory? And then without that, what consciousness is like? But I guess if if you come out of it, like, 
what would you remember? I don't know. I would take a pill of your consciousness. Mine? Yeah. How do you, like, you customize the pills you get to pick, like, whose consciousness? Or is it just, like, a grab bag at random? I, I, I don't want that. I don't know. This is, like, around the same time I remember hearing about this around the same time I heard about HDTV for the first time years before it came out, which was like, oh, yeah, in the future, we're going to have TVs that are really high definition. Yeah, those are those are comparable technologies, yeah. You get to see The Simpsons a little more clearly, and you get to fucking ghost in the shell somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you never wonder that? Just, like, what it's like to be in somebody else's head? Kind of. I want to know what's inside them, yeah. My head is stressful, you guys. I have, like, multiple multiple streams of thoughts at once, and, like, none of them are, like, smart or intellectual. It's always, like, three, seven different things to be anxious about at once, and then, like, whatever the task I'm, whatever I'm doing at the moment, and then just, like, this horrible, I don't know. And then, like, this horrible, like, layer of just, like, existential things, and maybe, and then, like, maybe if I'm, like, horny or hungry or something more primal than that, too. How do you just, like... I also wouldn't want to wish my consciousness on anybody either. That that doesn't sound like a good time. I don't know why you would like. I never. I don't em- envy somebody else's consciousness necessarily. When I when I say I wonder a lot of the time, it's just like how 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 are they able to function? Like they're so stupid. Like they're so stupid. <laughs> like how are they able to think that way? It makes no sense to me. I always assume chill people have, like, really fun circumstances, you know, like, or maybe, like, I'm, like, maybe they're rich or privileged in another way, and so that's why they're not worried about stuff all the time. Maybe, but, like... But that's not true. I know it's not. Yeah, I mean, but also, isn't, like, isn't art in general and, like, writing and stuff, isn't just communication a way of giving people a glimpse into your consciousness, even though? I think... That's what it is. Like, I think the that's what I that's what I consider to be like the most like potent thing about art is like is its communicated aspects. Like, you know, like you get to you get to kind of see how um, how somebody distills their own environment and their surroundings. I was at um, actually when I was still before I ever actually moved to Indiana. Oh right, which I don't even want to. Uh, it out but but before i even moved there i uh like my last big like hurrah was to go to the lacma and take a bunch of acid and go to the lacma and like the whole time i i i saw these like these paintings as like um like little like windows into somebody else's pers- uh person like consciousness or perspective like you know when they you know like when they chose to emphasize and how they saw things you know everything is kind of similar and that their landscapes and stuff but like some people accentuate like the shadows mean more to them or the highlights mean more to them it actually reminds me i've never done acid or shrooms or any hallucinogenics but i've read about them a lot because that culture has a lot of facets that interest me and like isn't that sort of what uh like ken kesey and charles manson and stuff were attempting to do with acid a lot of times was just like to have a collective conscious that everyone's sort of experienced the same brain. So <laughs> I, I, I got an acid because of the butthole surfers, the, 
the the idea of yeah the, the collective consciousness and like trying to uncover things that are only accessible to you like under certain like that hippy dippy blah like spooky kind of escaped my radar i don't i don't really know i'm not sure what that is um i think there are a lot of people who who think that oftentimes i i don't enjoy getting high with those people but um but yeah there might be some truth to it because i think uh one of I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Fisher, the Marxist theorist. Um, I'm not sure. He wrote Capitalist Realism. Okay. But uh, before before he killed himself, I think the last work that he was working on was like you know potentially utilizing like psychedelics or you know having that as a potential avenue to sort of expand um, your imagination. Hmm. Because his his notion that he came out of, in capitalist realism was that like a society a post capitalist society is incredibly difficult for for people to imagine right now. It's so entrenched in the way that we think and everything that's around us. It's very difficult for us to really imagine how a society that is like like a post revolutionary society would exist. A non transactional society. God. <laughs> yeah, like one. One not based on, not entirely based on like commodity production or that has a profit incentive, you know. I mean, just like just basic day to day things. And I think about it too, like, you know, uh, what is like so much of like the music that I listen to? Like, you know, they have like it's inescapable from like the environment that it comes from, right? And so it's it's inescapable in the effects, like from the economic system that the that environment employs. So it's like a weird thing to just like think about like cuz like I think about like you know music and um you know like pre-colonial societies like you know pre-colonial like like um periods like a lot of indigenous music and a lot of it is very communal it's a lot of it's very like religious or spiritual um it's meant for the collective It's mostly are you talking about the mostly like rhythm based sort of stuff too Yeah like more improvised and yeah, like Indonesian gamelan, or you know, a lot of like, I don't, I don't know, but um, like, I don't think they had like individual pop artists, you know? Right. Their their society wasn't atomized to the point where you had individuals like making like, you know, the glow part two in their bedrooms or something. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You have that now uh, because that's how you know we are more individually minded than we are collectively minded. Yeah. So what about like instruments? So were they did did they have to like find their voice in a specific instrument or anything? The way we tend to think about it, like somebody's specific guitar tone and everything. Ah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know the the like the history of it or like the inner workings of like like two those dynamics were reached not even entirely sure like i mean we're talking about like several different cultures right like over like over like you know millennia but i don't know i'm sure they had like different varying relationships to even like the instruments that they played if they own them or they're multifaceted i don't know hmm yeah i don't know uh i don't know how to segue out of that well, yeah, I always think about, you know, how it's like how people communicate or express differently. But I, as a writer, I'm always worried about how people are interpreting the things that I say. Right. Um, what was this in? In the in the waking life, 
no matter how much of a, like, on a wavelength or how linguistically, culturally similar you are to someone, you still really cannot help how they take what you say. You never know if, if they, you take it in a way that you intended. And it's like words are just like symbols for an intent you're trying to express. And it's really hard sometimes to express an idea or an emotion with somebody, no matter how similar it is and no matter how well you communicate it. Can I ask what kind of stuff do you write? Like what genre? Bullshit mostly. Like I just made myself sound really cool. I mostly write quizzes and slideshows, but um, I also have I, I have a blog, um, The Dirtbag Christian, and then I'll be writing some fiction for Only Magazine soon. And like I used to write a lot more like newsy media pieces, but they don't do as much f- freelance work anymore. Like I have a full time job, so I like. I have a pretty full plate anyway, but yeah, I can write lots of different things. And so I, and so I, but because I write so many different types of things, I'm always thinking like, I'm writing for this kind of audience. I'm writing for this kind of subject. I I want this kind of person. So I'm always switching gears. Like, you know, the baby boomers who I write quizzes and slideshows for, don't want to hear about like religion and politics at all versus like my blog, you know, that's all it is. And then fiction, you know, you want to do it, but not so heavy handed. And I don't know who's going to read that, but you just always adapting yourself really. Or maybe that's just me. I'm adapting myself to write or communicate with a different type of person. So I try to be very like in tune with how I connect with with them or the type of person I think would want to read or hear whatever it is I have to say. So would you say the audience has a fundamental role in like, in how I guess the finished products of your work? Absolutely. I would say maybe it's like, I mean, to a point, you know, there's some selfishness things. Like I write about things, especially in my, in the, my personal blog and my personal life, I write about things that are important to me. But like, I guess I've just been a commercial writer for long enough that I know that one, like people have to read it. But even if it's not about like, I don't care who reads that, you still want it to connect with somebody. So I definitely, I definitely constantly consider my audience and what people will think and what they will feel when they read something that I write. And so I, I try, I adapt it a little bit to them and it, I think it changes how I communicate as well. Thinking of the audience definitely has changed my writing style. Do you worry about how it will connect with them? Like if there's a wrong way for them to connect with it? I mean, like, yeah, I run into shit all the time and, you know, I try to take it, I try not to take it personally. Like, for instance, you know, it's like little things. I copy pasted some like term in one of my blogs. I use the word, the word lat, latinx, not even knowing if I'm, if I'm saying it and somebody was like, oh, that's a really condescending term and people really need to stop using it. And like, I hadn't heard that before, but I thought, you know, like whatever I was trying to communicate, the person totally dismissed because I had used that one word and, you know, you have to think about stuff like that. But I don't think about, you know, people get, some people are really touchy about political correctness, but for me, I find it more interesting. Like I'm not trying to, to make people write off something that I think and say because I use a word that's offensive. Like, it defeats the purpose of writing in the first place. So, like, I like to be somewhat non-offensive, or at least non-offensive to the right people, the right audience. Right. 
Like, obviously, the stuff that I write is offensive to some people, but I don't care about those people, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's funny. I guess that's all political correctness is, really, is just, like, trying not to piss off the right people, but then the wrong people always get pissed off, and they want you to change, but it's like, we're not, we don't care about you. Yeah, I don't care. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've been talking for about, for half an hour. Do you guys have anything else you'd want to add, or... I have no idea. I don't know what I can say that's like I'm comfortable being preserved and having to like recite again over the course of a year. I mean, everything's preserved now. Almost. I can't. I, I almost never talk to people in a way that isn't preserved anymore. Do you think that you think the feds are listening? Yeah. Well, that, but also just like, Talking on the phone, talking over text, talking over email. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just everything is like. Do you think that historians will sift through like Twitter and emails and shit in the future? There's so much content. What will they do? I mean, I think there will be like metadata that they can uh, sort what they're looking for. Because I, I mean, yeah, like it is going. I think a lot of history is like based on individual narratives. Like, I was just hearing about this guy who owned slaves, uh, just some random guy, but they found his journal, and it's illuminating just to get this one guy's perspective that he wasn't thinking anyone was going to see. I think, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. (laughs) It's weird to think about what the ever-expanding future with more and more people and more and more stuff being archived that will be deemed important. Yeah. But I mean, but I think, yeah, there will be themes ultimately that are sought, that are dissected, and then whatever is available of individual people. I mean, we already do this with blogs, like people searching through old blogs for things. I mean, we make memes out of like the bodybuilding forum posts and stuff like. Yeah, my kids occasionally make references to like memes or things that I know that they've never experienced before. But because it's in a meme format and they like their because I don't let them have too much media access, but they can watch, like, gamer, like, PG gamer YouTube things, and they'll see the gamer guy reference those things, and so they'll start referencing it. Like, what did they reference the other day? Something from Homestar Runner, and I'm like, you have never watched Homestar Runner. But it's not even just that, because, like, a meme can just be a post somebody made. It can just be something. Yeah. It could just be a face you made in public that somebody happened to capture it on camera like um yeah i mean i think what we're seeing already is the future of history basically i mean it's fascinating it's like you know it's it, it's like the logical conclusion to like the whole pop art thing you know or like postmodern like the idea of postmodern art is like the abolishing the distinction between like highbrow and lowbrow to where like everything just becomes like kind of like homogenized as this weird sort sort of mishmash culture yeah i kind of like it yeah i i think i think it's fascinating I don't know where else it can go, which I, I also, I mean, I tie it to, into like, um, you know, political, like, you know, just like the political state and how like this type, you know, like this kind of postmodern kind of like culture is like late capitalist culture, you know, it's like, yeah, it's the disruption and the rejection of all things sacred. And unlike, 
and just turned into commodities. Just like, you know, you can't, like, you, you can, you know, um, I mean, you can buy pretty much anything now. Like, there's no, like, you can buy, like, you can buy, like, uh, you can buy, like, Joe Crucifixes and shit. Yeah, I mean. There's nothing, like, there's nothing, like, sanctified or anything anymore. You can see anybody naked now, like, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Anybody yeah. you can think of. <laughs> you don't even ever have to be naked, like. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, like, the next thing that comes is basically just a great consolidation. Like, you can't unring a bell, like, all these forms of communication, all these forms, all of these disparate micro-content things, like, I mean, I always think it's interesting, like, how TikTok and stuff, like, and Vine, like, you have, like, (laughs) these moments that before would just be in a movie, like a lot of memes are basically just like a TikTok or a Vine taken from a movie or TV show. And I think we're going to keep seeing everything break apart more like that. And then eventually just like, it's going to be so much. And then we're going to see like a great consolidation again of media of all these things still existing. And but there's going to be more focus on long form and larger format again at some point. That sounds crazy exhausting. Yeah. I mean, talk about like a full length, like a feature film of a TikTok. I mean, it's already sort of exists. You know, you go on YouTube. My roommate's kid, he showed me, he just put up, put on a video of memes the other day. Like it was just this guy seemingly just has like, um, I guess he just sets up like he coded something to pick off stuff off of Reddit or Emma Im Imger or whatever. And then he has a robot voice reading it, which is why, which is what makes me think it's all automated. That is just this program pulls all these memes, reads what it says, and then reads it out loud from the synthetic voice. And then it just plays all of them for 10 minutes or whatever. Hmm. And I think we're going to be keep seeing more of that eventually. We're just going to we're going to be so much more focused on curated on curation again. Uh, well, uh, I feel, I feel like that's a sim uh, that's symptomatic of like a society becoming more and more depressed. It's like, from my, from my perspective, I feel like this like incessant need to have noise, you know, or like just, just, total stimulation like you know like sensory stimulation comes from the fact that like you know being alive right now is kind of unbearable for a lot of people yeah i mean we're sitting here talking about what things are like in the future but in all my leftist spaces like the real cynical ones are like there's not going to be an america there's not going to be a future like i think that's like uh, well i don't think there's going to be an america well i don't want there to be an america that's neither neither yeah, neither do I. <laughs> but it's not that simple. I feel very—I I don't feel very hopeful about that. There, there's that's probably a net positive, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess what this comes down to is we've sort of reached the cultural singularity where just everything is always happening and everything is fleeting. We're all like, did you ever hear the story of like Rocky Erickson? Like the only way he could get to sleep was by having like nine tvs on at the same time on different channels oh my uh, oh really <laughs> oh my fucking god well he was schizophrenic right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he was 
Wow. At that point, there was that was strange. Uh, that was not normal behavior. I think we've all kind of we're becoming Rocky Erickson. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been a while. It's been a thing for however long now. Like we watch, like I mean, so many shows are based around the fact that you're not going to be watching them. You're just you're going to be reading, looking at your phone, and watching videos on your phone while you're watching TV, probably. Yeah. And the person next to you is watching other videos. There are like ten-hour videos on YouTube. There are like whole whole swaths of YouTube that like don't expect you. They expect you to fall asleep to this, like to this ten-hour. Yeah. Like ten hour thing, like that's the whole purpose. They don't expect you to watch the whole video. It's not an artistic statement, and there's just it's just there. It's just drone for you. It's just background. Yeah. For your. I bet Ray Bradbury is glad he's dead for all this. And Andy Warhol. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe Andy Warhol would be excited. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. How. I don't know. I also think I never really thought about it actually about how production values simultaneously keep getting worse and better at the same time. Do you remember that video of all the people that lived in the TikTok house? It was like I think it was in like November, maybe October, November. I don't even remember when it was. Like last year of The Eternal Now. Yeah, so like there is this video of all of these extremely attractive fit people showing how they do every day and they're just like this is the filming room and this is the workout room and it was just like it was just like in like some LA house and like all these people must have been like 25 or under they were all extremely attractive they were all TikTok influencer types and they all lived in like the same house and they were all filming in all rooms all the time right yes yes it wasn't just like this is the exercise room where you get a break from this like no you were always content yeah, what a weird way to live. That's horrifying. Yeah, but I mean, we were expecting this forever, I guess. I mean, between Andy Warhol, The Truman Show, Ed TV, uh, yeah. That woman in the 90s, or I remember my dad reading an article to me in the 90s about a woman that was just going to leave her webcam on all the time, and you could just check in and see what she's up to. Oh, yeah, that girl. And they like, yeah, and she ended, I think, I think she ended up having sex with her friend's boyfriend or something. Oh, really? And it was on camera. Damn. So. Yeah, fuck. Why would, I was saying, why would she do that, I guess, but I mean, like. This is before anyone even ever thought about it. Maybe it was a radical statement, like, I'm going to do this thing knowing the consequences that might happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but, like, banality used to be such, like, a radical statement and like, in art, you know, to just, like, to do, like, normal shit, like, um, yeah, I forgot who the artist was, like, she was, like, a mixed-media artist, and, like, her, her museum installation piece was just, like, a, like, her messy bed, like, a replication of her messy bed. Yeah. And it was, like, it, it made, like, huge waves, and now, like, that's all content is now, like, it's just, it's just real life sometimes with the filter on it sometimes not but yeah we all have to stick out like i remember a girl nokia cupid when i was in indiana she had a video that she recorded of her going to bed and going to sleep and that was her profile she just had a link to a live feed she had done like back when you could do that with 
Google Hangouts through YouTube, and it was just like six hours, and I was just skipping through it, and it was like, yeah, there she is, sleeping. That's fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's it. That's about 40 minutes. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, um... I, I I live a pretty online life, so I get it. Yeah, we're all chauvinists and voyeurs in our own way. Yeah. This whole thing is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, to cut down the torture in the future, I think I'll cut this off now. Yes. Sounds good. All right. Okay. So long. All right. Later. All right. Stop. <laughs>